I'm going to say that I am in this moment okay, but I'm dealing with a large store of big, bad emotions underneath the surface. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Open Mike Eagle has been a popular and critically praised hip-hop artist for many years. Seven solo albums, rave reviews from critics and indie rap fans who love his introspective, complex, and often cerebral writing. The last time I interviewed Mike, he and his wife had moved into a new home with their son, Asa. Mike is indie rap royalty, but he had recently made the leap to the mainstream, co-hosting The New Negroes, a show on Comedy Central with Baron Vaughn. He was touring the world with his music. When I talked to him in February of this year, things were different. We were coming up on a year of COVID, and we had just seen riots at the Capitol, Trump fighting the election results, and that whole weird GameStop stock market thing that comes up in the interview. And by this point, here was Mike's life. The TV show, canceled. The touring, canceled. The marriage, over, leaving a tough custody situation in its wake. The house, well, I spoke to Mike from the apartment where he now lives, sometimes with Asa, sometimes not. That's a lot of pain to deal with, especially considering he has a history with anxiety and depression. But Mike did something with the pain. He used it as art supplies. Open Mike Eagle wrote about what he was going through and turned what he had written into an album called Anime Trauma Divorce. In that album, you hear a guy struggling. You hear his education and background in psychology, and you hear someone taking a hard look at himself to try to figure stuff out. Broken as it began. Falling apart, I can't hold it together. All in the art, cause I won't live forever. I had a direction and split from the thesis. Now I need more fingers to pick up the pieces. Fighting the bottle, the line in the writing. Fall was exciting. My winter coat is removable linings. Who's gonna bring me good comfort in tidings? Cause Santa and company wasn't invited. I wasn't expecting. Mike Eagle, hello. Hey, John. There's COVID anxiety for everybody. It's been a rough year, even on top of the COVID. The thing that I have struggled, I think mostly as a white dude, to come up with a term for the difficulties, the unrest. Mm. And then I was finally talking with Akila Hughes, and she said, oh, you mean the race war? I'm like, yes, the race war. <laughs> the race war that happened. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, well, but I feel like the race war hasn't really started yet, just like the, civil, the new civil war hasn't really started yet. Like, we've seen some skirmishes, uh-huh. like, you know, when they look back. They'll, they'll note in 2020 and 2021, there were signs that it was coming, oh. but it hasn't really happened yet. So I imagine there's all those societal things going on and then, and then the divorce. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the custody specifically. Oh boy. That's, that's really, that's the, the, on, like the ongoing part that feels like, it feels like a new wound, mm-hmm. the switching back and forth of custody. I think, I think it's extra intense because of COVID, because California has been in, in almost perpetual lockdown at different stages for the entire year now, or since last March. So when he's here, my son, when my son is here with me, he's not going anywhere else. <laughs> he's not yeah. going to school. You know, he's not going on sleepovers. 
He's, you know, like there's no play to like it's just me and him rocking hard <laughs> 24-7 for a week. And so like the hundred percent back down to zero every other Sunday is really tough. Oh. It's really tough. And it sounds like you know that that all this intensity and all this emotion is there. Like, do you, are you able to lance it and drain it occasionally, or is it just looming? I'm, I'm, I try to do that. I, I've certainly surrounded myself with things that attempt to like relax my brain because I get really wound up about it. And, and I need, I tend to be a person that it, it takes, it takes a real intention for me to make time to release my emotions because I'm, I'm not, typically operating in a in a setting where I'm very in tune or in touch with them. Mm-hmm. Like I feel them, but for them to get out, it just takes a lot of, of time. So like every other Sunday, I take like four or five hours and I don't talk to anybody. Because mm-hmm. I have to I have to at least let my body acknowledge the pain of that particular Sunday. And mm-hmm. and so I feel like in that session, that particular boil gets lanced, but then there's all you know all the other old stuff that I still haven't really dealt with. I want to get into your album, your latest album here, anime trauma and divorce. I mean, right? Like you got trauma. You don't even need to look for subtext for yeah. <laughs> this album title. It's yeah. it's all right there in the open. And I, and I tried to do that because I knew that even in the album, like even though the songs deal directly with my emotional state, I don't very often, like except for like one or two occasions, like actually name exactly what I'm talking about. And so mm-hmm. like that was one of the reasons to name the title that. So like you don't have to guess even though it's not overtly stated. Like, all the songs and some combination are about these three things. Yeah. When you make an album, does an album happen because you have an idea and you say, oh, this is a great idea for an album, or is it just time to make an album because this is your job and it's what you do? Yeah, I do. I think think there's a combination of factors there, but I I think part of the reason why I have been able to make a career is that I kind of always have something I want to say. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's about choosing the thing I want to say and starting to figure out how to say it and then refining it in a and and in doing that with a rhythm of of business, you know. Yeah, yeah. How did this album start? How did it start? Uh, it started with the song called "Edge of New Clothes." That's the first song that I wrote, and 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 that's just like a rap song. But I knew that in that song, like in 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 the way that I was writing r- lyrics and in after I was done recording it in the way that I was performing them and recording them, I was like, oh, this is some, there's something dark under here. Like there's, there's something that I'm trying to get to. And so like that song kind of became the marker in my mind that I, that I was starting to head in a, in the direction of something. And at that point, I didn't know what it was yet. And was that when your marriage was still in existence? Uh, yeah, um, I, I want to say yes, but it also may have coincided with when we were in the final stages of trying to treat it. Mm -hmm. So it might not have been officially over at that point. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, most uh, most dramatically and and darkly whimsically, there was a Black Mirror episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that is mentioned in the song. Black, the Black Mirror episode ruined my marriage. Click it, read the description. If it's a love story, pick something different. I should have known from the very first season. Couples fighting for some pretty good reasons. Happy home. Go to- when did it come to an end? Like what you describe, like still trying to work on it. When did the uh, the breaking point come? And I, and I think it was between it was between therapy sessions. You know, I I think we were trying to do a lot of different things, and what appeared in me was kind of like an answer like a like a path forward that seemed to make the most sense for me as a person who like i i feel i feel very responsible for what happened mm-hmm. in the marriage because a lot of it is based on stuff that i brought like like st- like unresolved issues that i had before i even met her that started to manifest themselves in a the relationship and so, you know, a lot of our working therapy on a relationship ended up being about me and work I had to do. Mm. And um, at some point it, it, it arrived in me that, I, that like the best thing to do was for me to work on those things by myself. Okay. But it took us a long way to get to that. There's a lot in the song Death Parade on the album. Should have been cool, but dude got screwed up and shit got burned up, so he fucked her up and she turned big. I got chewed up, that shit fucked me up, so I'ma fuck you up. A kid called him, that kid grew up and messed this kid up. He fucked her shit up, then she fucked dude up. It all got screwed up, and that fucked me up, so I'ma fuck you up. Took a bad fall, bad fall, look, but we had up in the land on Damn, she reached down and put her hands on me, but then we knew we had the math wrong. Well, the way I saw it writing it, and and this is not to say that there it isn't also there aren't also interpretations that I didn't intend that are valid, but the way I saw it was about how trauma passes through people almost generationally, mm-hmm. where like something happens to somebody when they're a kid and they perpetuate it on somebody else, and then that person gets older and perpetuates it on somebody else, and then you know, and then it arrived at me. And then I'm I'm basically speaking to uh, any a person that I'm close to or intimate with that like I very likely will pass this on to you. Damn, she reached out and put her hands on me, but then we knew we had the math wrong. More with Open Mike Eagle in just a moment. You grew up in Chicago, South Side, mm-hmm. in a combination of like a a really bad neighborhood outside, but also an imperative from your grandparents to stay inside. Yes. To avoid all that. And like, what do you think of that upbringing you've carried with you? I know before you've said a lot of uncertainty, a lot of kind of anxiousness about, about your safety and your protection, Hmm. but what else has been carried forward from that? I mean, I think there were, there were some positive things in that my sense of what stability means comes out of that situation. Mm Mm-hmm. But there was a, a a definite like marker in my mind of when that stability ceased when my grandmother passed away and when things became 
far more dangerous for me, far more uncertain for me. And so, you know, in, in many ways that those, those situations were my brain models for what stability meant and what chaos meant. Mm-hmm. And I think I carry a lot forward from that in terms of how I've organized my mind to think about what I wanted for family, what I want for my child. And, 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 and that actually gets to something that I feel like is tough about this custody situation is that I never intended for there to be chaos or distress in it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like now that's just part of the process now. Like that is, that is in that with, with the decisions that we have made, there is a distress that has been baked into parenting now. And, and that was like, that was so far beyond anything I ever imagined or wanted to be the case for my child. So is that, is that bringing up echoes of the instability you remember from so long ago? Is that bringing that back? I, I think, I think distant echoes because it's such a different situation. I, I yeah. think, but it, it does, it certainly touches on my, my will, my intention was was for him to have a life that was very stable and it and my inability to have delivered on that bothers me deeply mm. you mentioned that you have these 5 hours on sundays i imagine that's that's when your son goes away right mm-hmm. what do you do in those 5 hours uh I sit I play video games smoke weed I read comic books. I take a walk or I ride my bike. I'd been drinking a lot on those days through the year as well. And and occasionally I'll try to institute some of the like some of the very intentional things that like my therapist has told me to do for like for like mental work. Mm-hmm. Like what? Like building things or I used to draw when I was young. So doing that, journaling, yeah, just the stuff that puts me in a mind frame where I can access relaxation and, and, and parts of my mind or my experience when I didn't so much identify with having so much anxiety mm-hmm. and so many negative feelings, when I, when I felt freer, like these, these behaviors, these actions put me in a space, in my, my mind and my body in a space where it remembers what it was like to feel free and easy. Mm. I noticed you didn't mention music in there, recording. Oh, no, no, because that's work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I tried not to put work on that day. Yeah. So when we talk about the, it's funny, I, I can't talk about the album without jumping around in your timeline because of, uh, you know, things that you've talked about, things that we've talked mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. The album came about through your therapist in some way or through your therapy sessions. Yeah. Um, she had to remind me that I have an outlet to get feelings out, to mm-hmm. organize my thoughts, like an outlet that a lot of people really wish they had. And being able to make music and specifically rap music where there's just, it's just all words. I can say whatever I want and, and I can use the music as a therapy. And I'd never considered that because mm. I'd never really put my emotional self in any vulnerable way in my music. I, I 
have alluded to things all throughout my career and my catalog, but I had never walked into a project with the intention to make it all about me and how I'm feeling. Yeah. So why did you do it this time? Because I needed something. <laughs> yeah. I, I need, like, I, I, was, I was dealing with stuff that was bigger than all of the tools that I had. And so it made sense to use this giant tool that I didn't realize that I had. Like you say, you've alluded to things in past recordings about your emotional life. But now that I think about it, like you have been, you haven't always been open, Mike. You know? <laughs> it's, there's the rub. There, there's the rub, John. It, it's all... It's all a little bit of a put on. Yeah, semi-obscured Mike Eagle. There you go. Ob obfuscated Mike Eagle. <laughs> the O stands for obfuscation. <laughs> so were you apprehensive about that? Were you like, oh, God, I, I don't, you know, because it's a completely different style. I wasn't apprehensive about making the music because, uh, unbeknownst to most, in every album that I made, and released there were always right like right near the end of the process there were a few songs that i looked at and i were like i would i would take those off i would put those to the side because i mm. would have decided that those were too those songs were too much about me and how i was feeling yeah and so i've always made those songs what mm. i was reluctant about was putting them out what kind of feelings were in those songs? I can't imagine it's it's joy and carefreeness. Yes, it it was it's it's deeper explorations of anxiety and being sad. Like I have a lot of songs where it's just me saying I'm sad in different in different ways. Yeah. You know? And and saying I tend to say things in like very specific ways. Like I had oh man, I wish I could remember this this one song I have. It's it's almost the song is me saying that like the song is basically me saying I'm as sad as a suicidal person, but I'm not suicidal. Mm. Like it, and I forget the way that I set that up conversationally, but it was like a thing I felt like in that moment I needed to say that like and, and it's and it's kind of all about, you know, I have this public facing self. And then I have my emotional self that tends to stay hidden. Mm -hmm. And. It was about finding a way to communicate to somebody that like, there's terrible shit going on back here um, that I'm dealing with and also being present with, with you. The, and I forget the, you know, like I said, I forget the, the conversational engine that I wrote this song about, but that, that was kind of like the purpose of what I was writing. Yeah. Bob Dylan wrote, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Mm. Kind of same idea, I think. Yeah, close. When you put it out in an album, you're putting it out to the public. What were you hoping the public would get from it? It's kind of similar to what I just explained. I, I was hoping that they would understand that who I present myself to be in music or on social media is not all there is. That was one of my bigger takeaways in terms of what I want to change in my career as a result of this thing. Like I. I want a little room to be sad on the internet, you know, but I do realize also that that's just about me giving permission to myself to do so. Well, it strikes me that, you know, when you, when you meet somebody at a party back when there were parties, I remember um, those, remember those you could, 
you wouldn't say, oh, hi, I'm Mike. Uh, I have uh, clinically depressive tendencies and an anxiety disorder. And like you'd talk about other things for a while first. If that person becomes a friend mm -hmm. after a while, maybe you open the door and you, you know, you trust them. Right. Have you gotten to that level of trust with the general public that that felt like a, a good and safe and cathartic thing to do? That's a great question. There are some people who've been rocking with me in my career over the last decade that I did feel like it was time to let them in a little bit more. And it's funny because I have a Patreon and I kind of set it up that way. Mm. Like that this is the place where I'm going to discuss stuff, like really talk about stuff and open up about things that aren't the stuff that I'm going to give the general public. And it's kind of weird because now that I think about it, I, I like put a, put a price tag on it. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's not it's, so it's not necessarily like there's it's not a direct correlation between those people being the people who've been following my career it's also i guess you know anybody who's voyeuristic it, it hurt me a little bit that wants to know this little extra stuff can pay the money and they'll be party to those conversations but i did feel like it was time to become a little bit more three-dimensional i i don't know to answer your question though whether or not that desire is based on me trusting people more yeah you know i had i had a memoir book come out uh last may and i i had this, <laughs> i had this experience where i had probably the darkest time in the history of my depression and it's in the book it's when i walk out to a bridge in seattle and really think about it you know mm. and, and i try to kind of push push the action to the climax and put the question out there to myself. And ultimately, obviously I walked back to the car and it was a thing where I told maybe four people about it ever. Mm. And then I forgot to tell anybody that it was going to be in the book. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> that's a fun couple of weeks. Yeah, it's a <laughs> fun couple of weeks. And here's the best part. I was on fresh air with Terry Gross the day of publication. And it was the first question she had. She oh, wanted to talk about it right away. Goodness. But it, it made me think, well, what, you know, what is the purpose of, of just like clawing open the rib cage and exposing the heart, you know, mm -hmm. because like, I hope that through, through this show and through some other things that people feel people can recognize an experience and say, oh, okay. Other people have been through this and other people have been frightened or vulnerable in these kinds of situations. And maybe that will that will calm them down in their pursuit for what they're going to do about it. Hmm. And I, I wonder if that was part of your thinking, because that's, that's often how I feel about your songs because, Oh, Mike's in this situation. I know Mike, he's anxious. He's confused. He's doubting himself. Okay. You know, that's, mm -hmm. then I can, then I can calm a little bit. Well, it, it's, it's conjuring the idea of bravery to me, right? Like, yeah. is it brave to open up and, and, the bravery being that it, it you take a risk in mm. exposing yourself with the thought that it might help other people and I, and i don't i think i think musically i'm a very selfish person mm -hmm. i really think at the end of the day i make songs that i want to hear and i would like to hear a divorce rap album yeah you know because and and, and i mean cuz that's the sort of depth of emotional experience that I like in media, you know, uh, is, is the, is, is that level of, of exploration. Yeah. 
So I'm not I'm not sure if if I'm not sure if there's something really altruistic about it for me. I'm not certain. It might be, but I don't I I don't know. And that's not in the front of my head, you know? Mm-hmm. What was it like to make things during COVID or try to try to be creative during COVID? I know a lot of makers who say I had the best of intentions. Shit didn't get done. You know, I I I I've never stopped making stuff. I, and I was in a situation where I had a lot of stuff made already. Mm-hmm. Like my album was pretty much done. You know, I had a podcast that that was important to me that released last year called What It Happened Was. It, that was pretty much done. At least my contributions to it were done. I had to like give notes on edits, but the the work of going and doing writing the interviews and doing the interviews was largely done. So like those were the bigger projects for me last year. So the 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 situation wasn't so much about making things, it was about putting them out. Yeah. When the world was upside down, when, you know, when there were George Floyd protests, when when suddenly your music things didn't feel so important. But I've I, I made a lot of stuff. I wrote a lot of rap verses. Like I wrote I, you know, me and Baron Vaughn did this thing called Call and Response, where we did a live show for two weeks, like interviewing people and, you know, about the stuff as it was going on. Like, I don't, I, I never have a problem making stuff. I, I just, like, my, my real obstacle was making sure things got out with the care and attention that I felt like they deserved last year when there was so much other stuff going on. Like, I, 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 I'm sure that in some way, well, yeah, very clearly in some ways, I left money on the table putting my album out last year because I didn't get to tour it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just stuff like that that, that I had to consider. So, like, really, the, the issues with me were more, were more business than creative. I, I just, I don't know what it is about me, but I can, I can always make a thing. And I think I always want to make a thing because if I'm making stuff, I'm not sitting and thinking because <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's what I don't want to be doing. I'd rather be making stuff. It's it's just uh, so not making stuff would be the exception. Was it hard to keep doing that though? Like, did did part of you just want to say, "Oh man, I just want to smoke weed and play video games all the time"? Well, even when I smoke weed, it helps me think about stuff to make. Okay, it helps me think about things to push. I, I think I think, and and when I think about it this way too, when we talk this out, what's also appearing in my mind is that. Because touring was not an option last year, I had to figure out some really innovative ways to make money. Mm-hmm. Like I like that was imperative. Like I, there was no world in which I could sit around and do nothing last year. Yeah. Um. Like you know after like this is after divorce. I'm literally on my own. There's nobody to share the burden of living expenses with. So once that money. That which I had a, a lot of it that was supposed to come in was off the table. You better believe I started making stuff, and and yeah. and I couldn't find any excuse not to because it was imperative that I figure out how to pay the rent and my bills. One of my one of the the songs on the new album that I refer other people to a lot is "What the fuck is self care?" What the fuck is self care? 
My dark shit is the purest. I hear self-care cures. The fuck is self-care? Trying to find that shit like a tourist. See if they take my insurance. The fuck is self-care? Oh, it's like using good lotions and long walks on the ocean. What the fuck is self-care? Yeah, it's like getting a massage at a real place, not in a garage. Yeah, yeah, it's eating health food and making smoothies out of kelp cubes. There's a lot of terms in mental health that just pass by undefined all the yeah. time. Like you should get help. Like, right. okay, do I press a button and help? <laughs> like, like, what, what does that mean? I'd love to know the story behind that song. You know, I can't remember the exact origin of it, but I do feel like it's came from therapy sessions where I felt like, and not necessarily direct advice from my therapist, but like stuff that I was reading in terms of how to feel better mm -hmm. was stuff that really felt like distant from my life. The song talks about it's like finding good smells or fine wood shells, expensive lotions and candles and yeah. walks on the beach. And, and, and that's, that stuff all does sound great. Right. And, and I like when stuff smells good, you know, I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but like I, I live where I live which is the black American ghetto. And, and I think that it's, it's a little potentially dangerous to use self-care as a blanket statement for stuff that only middle-class people can afford and have access to. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not entirely what that song is about, but that is a lot of what that song is yeah. about. Thread couch and not sleeping on a bed couch. They said don't smoke till you veg out. So I pulled all my dreads out. Short break here, and then more from Open Mike Eagle. Are you riddled with guilt over your TBR pile? Are you filled with shame about a book that you just can't seem to finish? Are you having regrets because grad school killed your love of reading? We're Reading Glasses, and we're here to help. I'm Mallory. And I'm Bria. Let us absolve you of all your reading guilt. Stuck on a book you don't like? We'll help you dump it. Can't figure out what to read next? We'll recommend something in your wheelhouse. Can't decide where to buy your books from? We'll point you in the right direction. No matter what you read or how you read it, we'll help you do it better. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, he's coming back. Or do you mean the fact that <laughs> Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the ebony enchantress myself, <laughs> Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things. We're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fan-tie you. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. Seems like a lot of your self-care and a lot of your coping and your, your healing is self-generated. Like you're not going off maps that other people have created. You're, you're, you're coming up with individual solutions. And I think everybody does that to some extent. I think you do it more than most. Well, you know what it is? I have to figure out how to do things in ways that feel like they're within my reach. Okay. Because like part of the way my brain works is I have to, like I have anxiety when I don't understand how stuff works. 
so I have to I have to be close to things. Like the reason I have a rap career is because I was around people who had successful rap careers on an independent level that they were able to show me how that worked. Mm-hmm. Or else I would be sitting writing raps and then looking at MTV or something and and just like having my mind boggled on how do you do that. I'm a person that needs to understand systems and. So when it comes to my idea of self-care, like it's it's about me understanding myself, understanding potentially what self-care is supposed to do, like what it's supposed to relieve, what it's supposed to provide and figuring out how to assemble those things and make make my own medicine for me. How much of your plan for self-care, self-treatment or just sort of your approach to your own mental health is informed by all the work you did in psychology in, in college and in grad school. Yeah. I, I think a lot of, a lot of what I did learn in psychology or even the, 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 what I wanted to get out of psychology in the first place was to learn about myself and how my brain worked and how people work. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is so foundational to how I think it's hard for me to even parse out like where, where it begins and ends. When I found out that there was a thing you could study called that, like that was it. <laughs> that was yeah. it for me. That's all I wanted to talk about, think about, you know, like especially where psychology and like philosophy, like where those things meet. That is yeah. all like that is like put it in my veins. That's all I've ever wanted. You know, yeah. and, and I feel like that has just always been a part of me and and just informs everything. Oh shit, that's what most of your music is, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Just yeah. trying to make make those things go together to to build a build a map that you can go on. Yeah, and try to make myself make sense to myself, try to make myself make sense to other people, try to make the world make sense to me, try to make how I see the world make sense to other people. And in every little nook and cranny I find in between those those pathways, like they're all so interesting to me. Yeah. And and those like sometimes the smallest little nugget of those things becomes a whole song. Mm-hmm. Can you make sense of the world right now? Um, you know, I I do feel like I can b- because I try really hard to, but the surprises are so intense right now. Like I'm looking at this thing happening where Reddit is meeting the stock market. This is amazing. This is absolutely unheard of. Uh, and, I, and, and this is going to change something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to change, but it's going to change something. Like this is a, we are witnessing a huge deal right now. And gosh, it's, it's so amazing how many huge deals we've witnessed over the past five years. It's, it's incredible. Well, I mean, then it makes me think of of anxiety uh, in general. I know, I know that the the race war and skirmishes is a different experience for different Americans. Like I, I, I was always catching myself from saying, "This is so surprising that this happened," because I know that for a lot of other people, it's like, "No, this was the logical thing that was always going to happen." And you know, depending the life you're living, you might have seen it a mile away. But if that is skirmishes for, I mean, obviously a much greater reckoning has to and will happen. And then you've got this thing in the business world. And then you've had the the sustained complex trauma of a Trump presidency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what will will that bring? I mean, I was writing today about 
about the trauma and the sort of psychological fucked upness of Capitol Hill staffers, you know, mm. who have to do their job after this happened. Right. I have a hard time not feeling anxiety and dread about the America just around the corner. Yeah. Are you making sense of it? And is that keeping your anxiety and dread in check? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to I have to make sense of it in order to keep my anxiety in check. Like I have yeah. to understand what's happening. And and you gotta frame it for yourself. Yes. And you never get a perfect picture because there's always layers and layers and layers of everything. There's a YouTube hole for every problem that you can mm. you can fall completely head over heels into and come out more confused than you went in. But I need I need information in order to make sense of things. And trauma abounds right now. And the key to trauma, especially the sort of trauma we've been living through, and, and the sort of trauma that's interwoven into the history of this country, the release valve are these grand conversations that have to happen that never will. Yeah. And that's like, that's why we can't move forward through anything. We are dealing with, like, this idea of shutting down our economy and everybody staying at home for a year, there's going to be psychological consequences for this, too. So many. And we are, we are always expected as Americans to button up and just push through. And this is, this is dangerous. Like what we, like it is, of course, it is the thing to do for everybody to stay safe. However, there has to be a way to do things like this that allows us to speak about it and process the, the, the feelings, like process the dread, process the loneliness. Yeah of not being able to be social when we are social animals. Yeah. You know, like this, this is something, this is, this is a big deal and we're expected to pretend that it's not. And, and that sort of pretense is what traps trauma in us. Mm -hmm. And then that trauma never stays fully trapped because it manifests in it other out. ways. It bubbles comes out. Yeah. In, in, events later on and the dissolving of relationships and, and all these other things. And then the, the passing it down to our kids. Mm -hmm. What do you do about that as a dad? Uh, try to have conversations, try to make sure he has resources in terms of knowing what to do to get his feelings out. But it's a problem right now. Like I, like my, my, my focus in the near term is to get him out of the house and moving his body around more. Yeah. You know, he's in school, uh, sitting in front of a computer. His social interaction right now is relegated to him playing online video games with his friends and being on headsets, which is great. I love that he has that option. I'm worried about the energy trapped in his body. Mm -hmm. my, like I said, my near-term focus is, is finding ways to motivate him to go outside. And, and that means taking him outside with me and us doing stuff. I'm trying to do that more because I, I feel like this can't, it can't be psychologically healthy for him to just be sitting all the time. Yeah. You know, when he would have been in school running around and losing his, you know what I'm saying? Losing his yeah. mind like you're supposed to do on the playground. Like that's supposed to happen. Right. Boy, that sounds a lot like uh, you could be talking about yourself too. You know, yeah. Substitute playground for tour. And, well, yeah, for sure. You know, being out in the world and, and, uh, and getting that, and it sounds like it's a self care approach that you're taking there too. Yeah, I've I've definitely had to be more physically active as well, because yeah, like 
a lot of my physical energy went into touring. Yeah. You know, like the travel, the performance itself, carrying stuff, you know, you carry uh-huh. your merch and your equipment and like all of that. Like that was a lot of a lot of exercise, a lot of moving around that I'm not getting, you know, yeah. and, and who knows when I will. Well, and you talked earlier about you make these things and then you want to like all your your work is spent trying to get them out into the world, making sure that they're released, Do, going through the sort of non-creative logistics of mm. of getting them released. And like a tour, you know, you it's all about the, you're literally bringing what you have to say into the world. And then yes. you're going to Chicago to do it there. And then, mm-hmm. you know, New York. And I, I wonder if it's that same instinct of like, you know, not wanting to get caught in your own thoughts, not wanting to to just have everything just banging around, but just, you know, getting it released. Yeah. And, and you know, what you really, what I really miss about touring is getting the sort of visceral feedback you get about oh, yeah. the thoughts that you put out into the world. It, and it's, it's not even just when you're doing the songs and people are saying the words back at you, though that is awesome and incredible. And I miss that dearly. What I really miss is the conversations I have with people in the merch line. Mm. The, the very specific things that people say to you when, when, you know, when they've seen you perform and they're buying something and, and they, they want, like, they've been thinking of this thing to say to you about the work. Those are like, that's what I miss. That's, what, that's uh, the round of feedback that I'm missing most from this having released this album. Is are is are things said with that specificity? You must have been getting a lot of response though digitally from this album. Sure, sure. It's the thing about that though, is that I have had to train myself to shield myself from that a little bit, positive and negative. Like the positive is great, yeah. but it's like if I'm putting too much weight in the positive, then I'm also opening my mind up to put weight into the negative. And you do get both, you know? Yeah. So like, I, I, I have to have a little bit of a distance emotionally mm-hmm. from the, the digital feedback because it, it is a, an entire spectrum. And yeah. Some of it is really trash. Well, how about this? No, you don't. You, you don't have to take in the negative. What if you just took in the positive and just blew off the negative? I haven't found my, my, my emotional systems to be that sophisticated. Maybe that's part of my therapy journey. Okay. But, you know, I found that for me, when I'm open to the positive, to where it's like going in me, then like if, if, if I read two positive things and, and they're making me breathe good, I like them, right? Then mm-hmm. when that negative one comes, it shoots right through. Mm. You know, and I feel terrible about it. Yeah. And I think that there's something about the way that it happens in a show where the people who don't like your stuff, they're not going to come talk to you there. You know, like they're, they're not going to buy a ticket. They're not going to stand in line to buy something. They're, they're off minding their own business. And, and that's great, you know, mm-hmm. but I can, I can really relax and take in what people say when I'm at the show. I wonder if the, when you do get back on the road and, people do come up and talk to you about this album. I mean, as a, as a friend, I want you to be careful when that happens mm. because people are going to lay their traumas onto you. True. 
the recently divorced are going to talk to you about this album and they're going to tell you the worst shit about their own divorces. You're you're 100 percent you're 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 very right about that. You know, and and Chris Gethard, who we both know, you know, mm-hmm. told me about this because uh, he has a one one man show about his attempted suicide. He's like, I was talking with the crowds after every performance, but then I was sustaining trauma. I was sustaining yeah. damage. I was putting it all on my back as I went through, just internalizing it all. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you get that out? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I've I've grown to be very careful about who I engage with about about stuff like this because it's really it's, true. You know, it's. I mean, it's it's the dialogue is wonderful. We're all doing wonderful things with this openness, but boy, it's some potent stuff too. Yeah, I guess with this podcast, you 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 know, and the other one, you you probably put yourself in the, you know, in 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 line to receive a lot of that sort of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's one of these things like when it succeeds, it's great. But then you're like, oh, this is getting out of hand. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've got all these open veins that I got to carry around or stitch up. (laughs) It's amazing work, but that is part of the cost of it, right? That's Open Mike Eagle. His latest album is Anime Trauma Divorce. You can hear his son Ace on a couple of the tracks. Mike's music is found wherever music gets found. Look, times are tough right now for Mike, for a lot of people, but you can make art. It doesn't have to be good or what other people say is good. Good doesn't matter. And I'm putting good in air quotes, which I always think look like two bunny rabbits when you're doing the little gesture. It doesn't have to be good bunny rabbits. But art will be something that wasn't there before. You can summon it into existence, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Go make art. Next time on Depression Mode, here's an idea for when your depression has resisted all treatments. Strap your head into a machine, get bombarded by magnets, do this for 40 days, and have Fonzie moments. You're holding your thumb up and they they look to, they keep moving it around, the magnets around on your brain until they finally hit something that makes your thumb go down. Like it's it's the weirdest thing. And, Wait, and you're, the literally time, you're holding oh, your literally, thumb up? You're doing the Fonzie, yeah. You're and then wonder- they do something that makes you drop your thumb? It makes you drop your thumb, yeah. And they, so with they magnets? <laughs> with magnets, yeah. The incomparable Jenny Lawson, the bloggist, joins us. We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. It might help them. Certainly helps us. Also, something else that helps a lot, hit subscribe, give us five stars, write reviews. That helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations going. Depression Mode is your show too. Remember that, you're part of the team. Let us know who you want me to interview, what issues you want to hear more about. We want your requests. Except Take It on the Run by REO Speedwagon. We're not going to play that one. Not that kind of requests. We're not a roller rink. You can email us. Our electric mail address is depressmode at maximumfun.org. We're on Twitter and Instagram at depreshpod. You can look for us on Friendster. I don't know if you'll find us there or not. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search that up. I have notes and thoughts and discussions on all of our episodes as they come out. Plus some fun and silly stuff too. It's free to subscribe. So hey, do it. 
I'm on Twitter at John Moe, all one word, same on Instagram. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Our theme song, Building Wings, is written and recorded by Rhett Miller, who has nice hair. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer I'm Maddox from Washington, D.C., and it's not always going to feel like this. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun, home of Maximum Funk. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.